Scripture today, Genesis 6, 6 1, says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. For he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the, of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I'm sorry that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them in the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits, and the height is 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it with a cubit above and set the door on the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is in the earth, or I'm sorry, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every short of two of every sort shall come into the earth, come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as a food for you and them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so this morning we are in chapter 6 of Genesis. Let's just dive into verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my, which we don't know who he's saying this to. It could be within the Trinity. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Verse five, 
the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So just the first four verses of this, there, there are many options about what exactly is happening in verses one through four. Are these angels who are marrying women and having kids an option? Are these demons, fallen angels, who are marrying women and having kids? Another option. Are these men from Seth's lineage who are marrying daughters of Cain's lineage? Another very popular option. And I think what I want to say about this is I absolutely, completely believe the word of God 100% are the words of God. Completely. He speaks, it is written. Moses is the author of Genesis, but is not the solo author of Genesis. All scripture is co-authored using Moses, Moses' mind, heart, soul, and strength, and God superintending and also directing every word. It's what our lives should be, co-authored. And not for, I, I hear what is being said in these first four verses, and I think not for lack of study. I've even been part of podcasts where like we spend an hour just talking about these four verses and what the options are, and can we get a really clear where we land on exactly what's happening here. And I can also very confidently say, I don't know what's happening here. I do not know exactly what is happening here, and I'm not sure anyone else does either. And if they do, I'm not sure maybe that they have fully considered all that's happening here because we're actually not told exactly what's happening here, and I think that's okay. It's okay for there to be mystery. It's okay. I know there are certain personality types that need everything perfectly explained, and it's sometimes good to say, like, okay, let me, I want to keep studying this and know what it says And it's okay if I can't land exactly who these people are, these mighty men who were of old, and who these men of renown were, and who their parents were. And I would argue that's not the point, because Scripture doesn't spend the rest of the chapter moving deeper and deeper and deeper into that. What Scripture moves deeper and deeper and deeper into is that the focus is how Speaking of these marriages and the kids who came from these marriages at the time, the Lord saw the wickedness of the earth. This is where he's taking us. And how every intention of these people, every intention of the, not just their actions, which can be observable, but actually the intention of the thoughts of their hearts. That should give each of us pause. Like God is not, when he gives a, hey, here is the state of these people. Here's the state of the union. He's not looking on the outside. He is looking on the outside, but he's not exclusively looking on the outside. He looks at the heart. And when he looks at the heart of this generation, what he is saying with accurate knowledge is that 
the thoughts of their hearts are only evil continually. I'm seeing their hearts. I'm seeing the thoughts of their hearts. And they're only evil continually. And the Lord who had proclaimed his creation to be good now proclaims due to the ravages and inventions of the sins of the hearts of men that this is not good. What had been proclaimed as good is now proclaimed as not good. He will destroy his creation who are destroying themselves. God doesn't ignore sin. He never minimizes sin. He doesn't wink at it. He proclaims, this is not good. And he always does something about it. You know, sometimes it's like, it feels like so common in meetings that you might have at work where it's like, man, we had this massive meeting. Everybody was in the room. We talked for hours. And when we left, we were like, did we, does anybody know what we're supposed to do? You know, like, uh, like it felt like, like it just kind of left and it just kind of fell on the floor and there's no like action. Like he sees the most evil actions and he always is doing something about it. And here he states that what he's going to do is he is going to destroy mankind. But what's fascinating is he's not only going to destroy mankind. They are the ones that are guilty. Their actions of their heart, of their mind, of their soul, of their strength is only continually towards evil. He is going to destroy them, but not only them, he's destroying every created creature. So all creatures will experience the destruction of the sin of people. Then verse 8, um, and I just feel like in the middle of such a promised destruction, I mean, I just like picture just dark clouds, and in the middle of that, just a ray of sunshine just shoots through the clouds. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The only other phrase, we saw that with Enoch. If you remember, um, same thing. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in the middle of all the darkness, that first word in verse eight, but. Man, that's, if you just did a study of all the, that, conjunction, uh, but, and saw what was before, what was after, um, it would take your breath away in scripture. But Noah, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is righteous, which just is a fancy way of saying he does right things. He has a right relationship with God, blameless in his generation. So people around him have nothing to blame him for. So it wasn't like everybody around him were like, oh yeah, that religious guy. You know, it was like, no, it was like, man, that's like, we, we got no fault with him. Noah walked with God. Then verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight 
and the earth was filled with violence. I mean, I, I just, you know, as we are in scripture, like just, you know, let that settle into you. Be present in every verse here of like, because it, yeah, just these things should move us and it's okay if it's not, but I, I think we should like posture ourselves with like, Lord, I wanna be moved by this. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, so this is the first time we know he's directing it to a person. God says to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, but I will destroy them with the earth. So God's description of what has come about is staggering. And there is a good chance maybe he would describe it, the condition of today, the same way, in many ways. And remember, the immediate audience of this book is a people who have experienced great evil. It's a people who for generations have been slaves in Egypt, a nation that we know had really, uh, I would say, evil views of death, evil views of people, evil views of the afterlife, evil views of how they saw people. And they've been swimming in that, soaking in that culture. They've experienced great evil from a society without God and God is now preparing them to be a people who are nation builders, who are building a society with God. And God is telling, like, this is, in some ways, a history book. This is a narrative that is grounded in history. We'll look at a lot of archaeology next week uh, about how every, every archaeological people group have a, the flood of the earth is a part of the story of almost every archaeological evidence, the record, archaeological record of almost every people. And we'll look at some of that next week. So God is telling us what happened. And in the Bible, God is telling us what has happened, but the Bible is far from a history book. Like what we're actually told is it is living and active, sharper than any sharp sword, and is cutting down to our soul depth doing surgery at a soul depth. So even in a historical account, the Lord could be doing surgery on your heart and in your life, being changed by God's description even of the evil of the earth that's forsaken God and God's declaration of destruction and also his plans of action. He is always doing something. Look at verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. A cubit, they believe, is, is the distance for like an adult male from your, your finger to your elbow is, a, is generally a cubit. And so, so it's, you know, where you're like, oh, that's silly. It's like, well, we talk about a foot. So, you know, we're, we're not too far from, from several thousand years ago. Uh, so a cubit is from, the, from here to here. So 300 cubits should be its length, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above. 
set the door of the ark in its side above the water line, make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Like in reality, at this time, Noah might think all those alls might be me and my family too. You know, even though it's like, well, who would be in the, in the ark? Um, so this should instruct us to, like, um, when he says everyone and everything, he's, you know, he's talking about everyone, you know, and it's okay for him to say, like, and there's this group too. I feel like we get so scientific. Like, we need to be fully scientific, but I feel like we get, like, we lose common sense sometimes in, as we're approaching uh, things like this. And then he says in verse 18, after he says, everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh. You will surely bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. I mean, imagine if Noah just told you all of that. This is a God-sized mission. It really is. It is a God-sized mission. Notice the detail that God gives to Noah. And notice he doesn't ask Noah if this plan is okay with him. Hey, I'm thinking about something. I want to get some feedback from you. See, I'll you know, let you kind of form it a little bit. We can resist his plan. His plan for us is always for our good. We can resist his plan, but God speaks with confidence, clarity, goodness for Noah and Noah's family. And I think an important reality for Noah, for the slaves of Egypt that are hearing this, for us hearing this in our time, is that God always has his mission, and God always has his people for his mission. So how did Noah respond? Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah is not a perfect man. We are going to see that in later weeks. Noah is far from perfect, but he believes God. He takes God at his word and does what God tells him to do even if he doesn't completely understand it all. If God says to him, build this in this way, build the largest ship that anyone has ever conceived of up till now, it's gonna take you forever. Well, we see earlier, Noah didn't have kids till he was 500 years old. Um, so I think there's a lot going on in his life. We talked about the age of all that stuff. If you're new, I'd encourage you to, to listen to some of that, um, those sermons. And he says, put two of every animal on it. Keep them alive with you. And I love Noah's response. Okay. 
I'll do that. I will do what you're asking me to do. When I, when I think of me, when I think of us, I think we would have a thousand questions on the front end. How? How do I do this? How do I get the animals? Where are they going to come from? How about the lumber? Should I cut all that down? Are we going to plane all that? Are you going to just kind of, will I wake up tomorrow and it'll all be here? Like, how's that going to work? Um, how do I build this thing? Do I do scaffolding? What do I do? And, and what type of conversation should I have with the people around me? They're asking me what's happening. Like, how do I do all this stuff? And after I ask you a thousand questions, I might be a yes. What I love is Noah gives the yes first. And then walks with God from there. Noah, man, I want this to be true for me. I want this to be true for us. Noah fears God more than he fears the unknown. Noah fears God more than he fears the unknown. He'd rather walk with God into the unknown than sit on the banks of the unknown shore and never dive in. He fears God where he's like, I mean, like, the best he could do to the thousand questions is to be like, I have no idea. No idea. How are you going to, I don't know, actually. Are you the man for the, I, I don't know. What makes you, I don't know. I know God asked this of me. I gave him my yes, and I'm trusting he's going to walk with me into the unknown. I want to fear God more than I fear the unknown. And what I think is just majestic is thousands, or at least, uh, gosh, yeah, thousands of years after this moment in the book of Hebrews, after Jesus has come, has taught, has done, has revealed to us so much, filling in the blanks, teaching us so much about himself, the writers of Hebrews really, the, the writer of Hebrews really starts to hone in on faith. And how faith, I, I think like in our Western culture, it's like, if I tell you like three plus three equals eight, Adam, have faith. You'd be like, mm, I think I'm going with a solid six, <laughs> right? Um, you know, that, that's a wicked view of faith, I would say. That, that's not faith, that's like believing a lie. Faith is actually knowing the heart of God, knowing his truthful ways for us, knowing what he has revealed to us, and saying, I trust him. I'm following him. Not following him into the dark. I think he's actually given me a well-lit well path. So in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer actually writes of this moment in Noah's life. It's found in verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent 
fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, by this faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I think that is beautifully true of Noah. And I think it is a powerful, beautiful, transformative truth and invitation for every single one of us. Will we condemn the world? You know, Noah could be like, man, this is going to ruin my 401k. This is going to this is going to affect every relationship I have. This is going to change everything. And I think it's like, yeah, it is. Now, that was during a very unique, you know, actually, we have a promise from God. He will never do this again. And we'll, Kevin will lead us into that in a couple weeks. A greater Noah has come. A greater Noah is here, is in our midst and a greater ark has been constructed with wood for the saving of his household, which is Jesus nailed to a tree that he made. Jesus nailed to wood, delivered us from the storm so that he could save his household. And those of us who have a yes on the table, those of us who say, hey, there's unknowns. I've got some questions. Got some things that I need to figure out. That we can fear God more than we fear the unknown. And by faith, we can condemn the invitations of the world. We can become an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Rightness with God is what Jesus bought for us on the tree. And he conquered death. He is alive and well, so that through him, we can go through the water, the flood, and that we can be safely home with him, create a new world. Will we condemn the world and become an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith? Would we fear God more than we fear the unknown? Can I pray for us along those lines? Lord, uh, my words have no power, absolutely none. Eternal things can't ha happen by just me being a chump and talking about stuff. But God, when you empower your word, your words. And we hear your word as clearly, as strongly as Noah heard from you. He is with you. He has been with you a really long time. And now we are the people who you're inviting into walking with you. Walking with you here building a new nation, being a light in the darkness, being a city on the hill, Lord, being in our community in a way that others say, I want whatever you have because I know you 
and you can't do this on your, like, you're not slick enough to change the way that you've changed. I know God is changing you, and I want him to change me. And Lord, each of us, if, if there's somebody here that realizes today they need to fear you more than they fear the unknown, would they just boldly come to you right now, give their life to you? Not looking back, just looking at you, looking forward, letting you just absolutely wash over their past and give them a new future. And Lord, this word from you, who you are, the way you are, is for every single one of us in the room. So how you are going to use this to change us, only you know, but we look to you to change us. We look to you to form us. We look to you to increase our faith, increase our walk with you, increase just our yes on the table and walking with you forward, letting you fit all the things together. Lord, our eyes are on you. A lot of times we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. A great... um, so I think we mentioned this last week. Some of the best times happen around a meal. And I don't think that's accidental where it's like, man, we had a meal together and it was incredible time of, of connection. And, you know, they even say like families that, that, that eat together. Like it's just like even people who don't know anything about God are just like, we just find when people eat together, like families seem to be closer. And I don't think that's by accident. And I don't think it's by accident that Jesus created a meal for us as his family to come around him and come together. And um, this is, uh, anybody can take this meal, but I don't think it means a lot if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus. It's, it's uh, some wine, some juice, and some bread. Um, and, um, but what, the, what I would encourage you to do, if you don't know where you're at with Jesus right now, um, skip the meal, but just spend this time not skipping him. I would even talk to him and just be like, hey, I don't talk to you very often, but are you real? Is this real? Are you really inviting me into these things? Great use of the time. Um, For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, are uh, yearning to walk even more closely with him, uh, this meal is is meant for us to commune with him. So really, we're coming to Jesus in this time. We're, we're, We're communing with him as a people. And we are meant to pause to open our life up to him, to not rush to the table, but then to confidently come. And so uh, we'll come down the middle. We'll have uh, people, do we have people who are serving today? Kevin and Mary? Okay, Kevin and Mary will be serving you. They'll, they'll have gloves on and they'll actually tear the bread. So you just kind of come up and they'll, they'll give you uh, the body and then, uh, then take wine or juice, obey your conscience there. And then go back and remain standing and then I'll lead us through taking it together as family. So let's respond to him.